Good morning, Bethel. It's an honor to be here, and I'm super excited to just um, share my heart with you a bit this morning. And like I, I shared a second ago, um, <clears throat> I was a little nervous about the direction that I felt like the Lord wanted me to go. Um, raise your hand if you've ever heard of Missionettes. Yeah, yeah. Missionettes is a really neat program um, that the girls can go through here at Bethel, and the boys have real rangers. But I went through Missionettes here. I've, I've been at Bethel since I was five, six years old. And so I went through the Missionettes program. I don't know exact ages. I'm terrible with ages. I look like I'm 12, so just never ask my opinion on someone's age, height, any of that. Um, <clears throat> so I'm just going to ballpark that I was maybe between 10 and 12. And I, I went through the Missionettes program, and the girls that completely fulfilled, like, all the requirements, all the Bible verses, the projects, all the things, got to be crowned star. It was like a big ceremony, wore a white dress, and um, you got a cool, like, cape and a crown. All, it was really neat. But the teachers um, and, and the ones that did the ceremony gave each of the girls, uh, as a gift, they gave us a Bible um, and asked us our favorite Bible verse. And then when they gave us the Bible, they, they like highlighted our favorite verse. So amongst 10-year-old me, amongst the, the Jeremiah 29 11s and the John 3 16s, I chose Ezekiel 37, 1 through 10. <laughs> I did. I was like 10. And I, did, I don't remember who, um, but I remember someone asked me at, at one point in that process, are you sure? It's a bit of an odd verse to pick as your favorite, but I just, I don't know what it was, but I have just always been drawn to Ezekiel 37, 1 through 10. And so I've just, I've just carried it with me in my heart. But listen, Ezekiel's kind of a crazy book. So I've never really spoken much from Ezekiel. So when the Lord laid it on my heart, because it's been like um, five and a half years that Matt and I have um, led the youth here, and been a part of the leadership here at Bethel, and I've never preached a sermon from Ezekiel. I'm like, oh, those biblically accurate angels make me nervous. Um, so anyway, here we are, um, but the Lord just continued to just lay it upon my heart. We went to a youth pastor's retreat, and um, the pastor that was speaking spoke about calling, and of course he brought up Ezekiel 37. And then this morning, just hearing the songs, it's like, okay, we're, we're where we should be. So I'm going to start off. Um, by reading Ezekiel 37, verses 1 through 10. I love history. I love study. So you are going to have to just buckle up and let me get through some context after I read the scripture. And then we're just going to dive in and see what the Lord does, okay? Does that sound like a plan? Okay. <clears throat> so here's our scripture this morning. Oh, the hand of the Lord was upon me. And he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, oh, Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, 
Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. And he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Again, as a kid, young kid, this scripture moved me, and I didn't even fully understand the significance of all of it, but I remember just reading it and being like, that's, my God does that? Like, that's amazing. And as an adult, as I began to look through the Old Testament and see the context from which this vision came, it just resonates even deeper. I love sharing about the Israelites in youth. Um, The Israelites, they're God's chosen people. And we see through their story, God's redemptive plan unfolding Genesis to Revelation. We see Jesus through all of it. And When the book of Ezekiel was written, it was a very dark time in Israel's history. We see through the books of the Old Testament the story of how God chose the Israelite people, set them apart, set them as a city on a hill to be a light for his glory and his goodness for the world to see. But time and time again, the Israelites fell into sin. They fell into idol worship. God spoke to them, he warned them, he pursued them, he protected them, but they continued to turn away from the Lord. I've shared this before, but again, it just, oh, I love it. It just gets me so excited. Only three kings ruled Israel as a united kingdom, Saul, David, and Solomon. And after Solomon, Israel was split into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom of Judah. Because of the rampant idolatry and they just have a succession of not so great kings on the throne, Israel was in a constant state of instability. Are you with me? Okay. Ezekiel starts off in the southern kingdom of Judah. Ezekiel was born and raised in the land of Judah and he was preparing to be a priest in God's temple when he turned 30. It was in the midst of his preparation to be priest that the Babylonians attacked around 597 B.C. Ezekiel was then taken captive during a second wave of exile, of which there was three waves. So he was taken into exile. He's in the land of Babylon. And five years after he was taken captive, God called him to be a prophet to the exiles in Babylon. So we see Ezekiel as a very unique prophet. A lot of us know about one of his contemporaries, Jeremiah. Wave at me if you have heard of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet to the Jews still remaining in Judah. Jeremiah prophesied and he warned the people, don't rebel against Babylon. But they refused to listen to him. Jeremiah, known as the weeping prophet, lived through the siege of Jerusalem and saw the temple laid to ruins. And Daniel... 
also a contemporary during this time, he was a prophet serving in Nebuchadnezzar's court, and he'd been taken captive nine years before Ezekiel um, during the first wave of exile. Jeremiah warned, Ezekiel warned, strong visions, strong demonstrations, strong words to the people. Did they listen? No. And God even told Ezekiel, they're not going to listen to you. Why? The Israelite people had allowed their hearts to become hard. Hard as stone, scripture tells us. The Israelites turned from God. They listened to false prophets, which is what ultimately led to the northern kingdom falling to the Assyrians and the southern kingdom to the Babylonians. So I say all of that to say, I love history. I also say all that to say that this gives us a picture of the state of God's people. Okay, listen, they were in captivity for a very long time. They weren't displaced for a month or two. They were not able to return to their homeland until Cyrus the Great, the Persian king, allowed them to in 538. So we see that they were in captivity for a span of 70 years. The people were forced out of their homes. The Jews believed that God was primarily in the temple, that his presence dwelled there. So they felt alone. They felt isolated. They felt without hope. And the sin they got themselves entangled in, the sins, they were heinous. They even, that even other nations looked down upon them. It tells us in Ezekiel chapter 16 that even the Philistines looked down upon them because of their lewd conduct. What does this mean? Their hearts were sick. Ezekiel chapter 20 will summarize, give you a great picture of the rebellion and what I'm trying to express to you this morning. You can see how God attempted time and time again to draw them back to himself, but they continued to prostitute themselves to idolatrous living. But here's where we start to turn things around, okay, if you're still with me. Though chapter 20 may outline their rebellion, chapter 36 summarizes and prophesies their restoration. Listen to this. This is Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25 through 28. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And I will be, care- and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. And you shall be my people and I will be your God. And in verse 32, he declares, it is not for your sake that I will act. Let that be known to you. Oh, church, the story of the Israelites is one that showcases God's faithfulness, his punishment of sin, and his desire for relationship with his people. It demonstrates his love, all of which we see fulfilled in Christ. This is the context that leads us to Ezekiel chapter 37. It's illustrating the promises and restoration of chapter 36. Say restoration. Hmm. The dead, dry bones in that valley are a picture of the people. They're scattered and they're dead. They're dead with no hope of vitality. 
They're not even pieced together. They're bones. They're dry bones. And this imagery of the bones is also very profound for the Jewish people because it was clear that the bones weren't where they should be. Proper burial was very important to Jewish culture. So these bones, they're misplaced. They're dry. They're dead. They're brittle. No life, no movement, no hope. What good were they? There was no good, no life left. But listen, this text was not written to us, but scripture is written for us. So I asked this morning some questions, and I want you to be honest with yourself this morning. Do you feel misplaced? Do you feel dry or dead or brittle or ready to break? What's your prognosis? What does your future look like from your viewpoint right now? Do you feel like you're thriving spiritually or do you feel like you're barely hanging on? Do you look out and see a lush plain or a valley of dry bones? I'm here to tell you this morning that the answers to those questions don't really matter. What matters is the restoration that is found through Christ. So I have two sermon points for you this morning. The first is this. New life is dependent on God's power. <clears throat> New life is dependent on God's power. Those dead, dry bones would have remained dead and scattered. They would have remained just bodies if it wasn't for the breath of God breathed into them. New life is not dependent on circumstances. Our physical health, our talents, our gifts, our abilities, our occupations, what we look like, our personalities, how great we are or aren't. New life is dependent upon God's power that is within us. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a... The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Ephesians 4, 22 through 24, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Romans 6, 4, therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Are you walking in newness of life this morning? Romans 6, 6, know this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Those bones had no hope without the breath of God. God's people had no hope without the presence of God. The power of God within them is what brought them to life. When we turn to God, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are saying yes to being a new creation. We are saying yes to the new self. The old self is crucified with Christ. Leave it there and walk in newness of life. Listen, our God didn't see a valley of dry bones in this vision. He saw the hope of restoration. Just like the blood applied to us, he sees Jesus. He sees new life when he looks at it to us, church, not dead life. So don't walk around dead and lifeless. 
Israel saw no hope of physical restoration or spiritual restoration. But it doesn't matter what we see. It doesn't matter what the enemy wants us to see. It matters what God sees. If you turn from the pages of Ezekiel to the pages of Ezra and Nehemiah, you see the beginnings of restoration taking place. It truly is remarkable, the story of God's grace that leads straight to Jesus and full spiritual restoration through the cross. Nothing is impossible with God. His spirit breathed on us, breathed on his people, is life. We must stop looking at ourselves like some days we're alive, some days we're feeling it, some days we're feeling great, and then other days we're walking around as if we're dead. Maybe we're feeling discouraged or beat down, and the enemy loves to get in our minds and make us feel like maybe we aren't capable of living out the calling that God has asked us to. We need to stop living like that, church. We need to choose to walk in the confidence that we are new creations in Christ filled with the Holy Spirit. One of my missions that I feel like I carry within my heart as a pastor is to encourage believers to live like they're alive in Christ. I spent far too many years of my life in church living as though being a new creation was something that I had to chase after. That it was something I would eventually grasp when I could just stop struggling or stop sinning. As my four-year-old so eloquently said last night, and Matt can confirm, hey Matt, uh, Matt can confirm this. I accidentally cleaned up some blocks she was still building with. And Matt, correct me if I'm wrong, she literally said, man, mommy, you make a lot of mistakes. (laughs) That was yesterday. And it just resonated in my heart that it's like, oh. I do sometimes make mistakes and fail and mess up, but I am a new creation. It turns out all that time I spent focusing on chasing after being a new creation, I lost sight of keeping my eyes fixed on Jesus. I'm not saying that we should have license to live in sin or that God doesn't prune things that don't belong. But amazing things happen when we take our eyes off of ourselves and put them on Jesus. We are transformed through the washing and regeneration of the spirit within us. Don't get lost in chasing after being a better version of yourself. That's not Christianity. We need to focus on our relationship with Christ, to sit with Jesus, to read the word, to get to know our heavenly father, and to let the Holy Spirit Speak to us. From your living, breathing relationship with Jesus flows transformative power because new life is dependent upon Him. When I truly understood this revelation that I am a new creation, I stopped saying 2 Corinthians 5:17 like I was trying to convince myself of it. I declared it as truth. And some of us this morning, we need to start declaring that we are a new creation. We are not a new creation when we reach perfection. We are a new creation when we decide to follow Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. In Ezekiel's vision, those bones went from death to life because of the power of God. 
not the willpower of the people to do better. We will always fall short if we focus on what we are doing, on what we can do or can't do, instead of focusing on the Holy Spirit at work inside of us. It was the Spirit of God that was breathed upon that army of bones. Again, I'm not advocating for sloppy living, that I don't need to be aware of my sin, and I shouldn't reflect upon where my heart is. Sloppy living that tries to presume upon the kindness of God is in reality turning away from him. Do you know that God's kindness is meant to draw us to repentance? Listen, can I tell you, as I was preparing this message, I was just thinking about what a joy it is to repent. It's not negative. Don't be ashamed to repent. Be overwhelmed with gratitude at the kindness of our Savior. Part of being a new creation is understanding that not for a second do I have to walk in shame or guilt because I live in repentance, which is freedom from sin. Turn your face towards him this morning. Live in the relationship that Jesus died to give you. I have a question. What would you do? What would you step out into if you knew without a shadow of a doubt that God was with you? What would you set out to do if the spirit of the Lord was mightily upon you? Well, my next point is this. Live like God is in you because he is. Live like God is with you, is in you because he is. Church, God promises to be with us and we need to live like it. Why do sometimes, why do we sometimes live like his presence comes and goes? Israel turned away from God. God did not turn away from Israel. Israel had forsaken its first love, but God breathed on them and promised to put a new heart and a new spirit within them to remove their hearts of stone and to give them hearts of flesh. Hearts of flesh are hearts that are moldable. They're able to be shaped. They're able to be spoken to. They're willing hearts that desire relationship. He said to them, I will put my spirit within you. The Holy Spirit lives within us, church. The Holy Spirit that in that vision resurrected an entire valley of dry bones into a vast army is the same spirit living in you. You can live experiencing the presence of God every moment of every day. Every step you take is one taken with him. Life may be difficult. We will experience pain, but there is fresh manna every day. Listen, in the midst of the exile and the pain and the sin, that's when God spoke the words that we love to quote from Jeremiah. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. God looked at those bones and he saw his people. 
and his character, his love, his mercy. He spoke plans. He spoke purpose. He spoke a future and hope to them. May these words draw us to turn to the Lord with revived commitment to focus on him and him alone. May these words draw us to being provoked to action and sharing the gospel with the world. Church, don't live in defeat. Be bold. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. If the worship team wants to come forward as I land the plane. Seek the Lord. He will be found. Pray. He will hear. Search the scriptures and you will know him. Give him space and the Holy Spirit will move and is moving. Silence the voice of the enemy in your life and declare that you are a new creation. The enemy shuts up a lot faster when you know who you are and you are a new creation. Live like God is in you because he is. The enemy wants us to live like we are the dry, dead bones in that valley, but our heavenly father desires to breathe life into us. When the enemy tries to tell you otherwise, you shut him up and remind him that you are a new creation. When the enemy tries to spiral you into shame, when you sin, you shut him up and remind him that you are forgiven, restored, and set free, and you keep living as the new creation you are. When the enemy tries to sit you down, you stand up and say, I am counted as righteous. Church, new life is dependent upon the power of God, and that power of God is in you, is in us. He has placed new hearts and his Holy Spirit inside of those who are found in Christ. My prayer is that we come alive with the boldness that comes with understanding and truly knowing and walking in that we are filled with the Holy Spirit. So how I would like to close is I just want us to worship together this morning at the altar if you would be willing to do that with me. We'll have our prayer team up here. If you need prayer for anything that's going on, healing, you just want someone to pray with you, we are here and we are always available to pray with you. Never leave here wishing you would have asked someone to pray with you. Just come and let us pray with you. But I'd love to just close in a time of worship with grateful hearts that our heavenly father loves us so much that he made a way for us to have a relationship with him and not just that, that he fills us with the Holy Spirit so that we can live in resurrection power. I want us to be grateful and thankful that we are a new creation. I want us to declare that over our lives this morning. Say, I am a new creation. Thank you for listening. You can find us online at BethelAG.com or on Facebook at Bethel Assembly of God, Littlestown, Pennsylvania. Our services are also live streamed every Sunday on our YouTube channel, Bethel AG, Littlestown, Pennsylvania.